1: Hello everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos. I'm joined today by my handsome husband, Dewey. Hi, Dewey.
2: Hello, my beautiful wife, and hello to all the cat fans that listen to our show.
1: We're here today to give you resources to help care for your cat in ways that are more natural to their species. Things that make your life with your cat more rewarding and behavior-free. But today, you might get some of that out of this episode. That's what we normally do, but today we're going to do something a little bit different. I get asked a lot about how I got started working with cats and how I got into behavior work. And quite frankly, it's very uncomfortable for me to talk about myself. So this may be a little uncomfortable, but Dewey's going to ask the questions that I normally hear, and maybe some that he dreams up, and I hope that he doesn't put me too much on the spot. So
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so be nice, honey. <laughs> All right.
2: All the questions I've always wanted him to know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: let's do that off air. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> okay. So let's get started with how and understand why Molly DeVos does what she does. So let's go back in time for a minute, Molly, and talk a little bit about where all of this came from. Uh, I know there's always been a connection with you and animals, uh, but when we were talking in the past, you've always said that when you were young, you always had dogs, never any cats until you brought home a stray in junior high. Uh, where do you think this passion for cats only came from?
1: Yeah, my parents are dog people. To this day, both of them are dog people. My dad has a little corgi, and my mom and dad, Bob, had a, a beautiful Bichon uh, until she passed um, a couple years ago. And they they love dogs. My mom's had one cat, uh, only uh, a cat because Well, actually, that's not true. She's had two cats. She actually did have a cat on her own. And then one that I was fostering when she was, time she was living with us, she ended up adopting. But at any rate, they're dog people. When I was growing up, they were dog people. We never had cats. But it's hard to to explain why, I guess, I have always felt this deep connection to cats. It's probably because, Uh, It started long before when I brought that cat home in junior high school. I think it started with my grandparents because both of my grandmothers were cat ladies. And I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My dad was in the Air Force. He's a fighter pilot. And so I went to a different school every year in a different place my whole life until, until really I got into high school. So... I, I, uh, I, and then, you know, they would always be kind enough to transfer my dad in the summer when the kids were out of school. I say kids because that's a generality. I'm an only child. But so I would go soon as school let out, I would fly out to the East Coast to spend the summer with my grandparents, most of the time with my mom's family. And then the last two weeks of summer, I'd spend with my dad's family. And then they would fly me back to wherever they had moved to. And my grandmother, on my mom's side, I called her grandmommy, she loved Persians. She had a Persian, Maximilian Sebastian Scott was the name of her wow. white
2: Persian. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear you call that. Come All here, right, kitty. Well, uh, and... Maximilian
1: Sebastian Scott, it's time for dinner. We called him Max, of course. And um, And that cat was feisty. He was a biter. <laughs> He had a. He was kind of a, a cranky cat. He was, he was a good, uh, a good lesson actually in in how to interact with cats. But even though you know he he didn't care to be touched as much, he and I had a really great relationship. And then my dad's mom, they uh, they lived in Pennsylvania. My mom's mom lived always on the East Coast, Ocean City, Maryland, Washington DC area. And uh, and so then I'd go to Pennsylvania to spend the last little bit of summer with my dad's parents, and she loved cats, and she had a lot of cats. I mean, not at one time. She always had one cat at one time. Both grandparents did, actually. And I can remember picking out a cat for her around Halloween time, and it had it was a, a tortie, and it had this big yellow round spot on its forehead, and we called her pumpkin, punky. I always called her punky. And um, one of the things I got from my grandparents when they passed away was a a plate that had been made of my grandfather eating ice cream with Punky, and um, you know it was like a picture that was taken. It was a black and white photograph, and they put them on a plate, and it, it's adorable. We have that today in our in our china cabinet in Dallas. But it, both of my grandmothers were cat lovers, and I really. I was, I think, closer to my grandparents in a lot of ways than I was to my parents. So, if if my love for cats actually came from exposure, that would be the source. Otherwise, I was either just born with it. I I can read cats. I have a excellent intuition for cats. What's going on with them? What they're feeling? What they're thinking? Um, and I think maybe I came out of the womb with that. So. Maybe my mom was pregnant with kittens, and I absorbed the rest of the litter. I don't know. We could come up with all kinds of weird conspiracy theories.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, that would be a whole nother show. (laughs) That would be more of the sci-fi version of what we do. That'd be right up your alley. You love aliens Uh, and Bigfoot. I do. I do. I do. But, um, you know, trying to keep this show on track, I got to stay where we are. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay, so think about that for a minute. I know my grandmother uh, had a lot of cats. Um, and she had uh, she didn't have any inside cats. They were all feral cats outside. But she took care of a lot of them. She fed a lot of them, and they multiplied and so forth and so on. And, but they were always cats. So every people that are looking at you or talking to you probably have the same question. How many cats do you have now? because the the assumption would be you have lots of cats
1: yeah i get asked this a lot because i get pegged as a crazy cat lady as you know when you and i first started dating several of my friends said i have to warn you she's a crazy cat lady Uh
0: Uh (laughs) And, uh,
1: and i suppose i don't know i suppose i qualify but right now i have one cat tabasco who is 15 years old now I haven't always just had one cat. Uh, there was a time when I had three cats. It's been the most I've ever had. And the more I learn about cats, the fewer cats that I that I have, which I know seems crazy because I have both a passion for cats and a passion for rescuing cats. But I do know that they tend to do better when there's just one. Now, we don't always just have one, as you well know, um, we have the rotating, revolving door of of kittens, underage kittens that we foster, that stay in the foster room, and then I also I, I really like to rehab and foster the amputee cats and paralyzed cats and special needs cats along along those lines. So even though Tabasco is the permanent resident, there are often other residents in and out of here.
2: So. Often we see, and I I know that this is a compassionate component to what you do, but um, why do you like to foster amputee uh, recovery cats?
1: Well, it all started with Rescue Kitty. Um, She was a beautiful flame point that was at Dallas Animal Services, and she was really my first full-on rescue from the shelter. And I was working with a couple that was looking to adopt a cat. And I had him back in what was called the lost and found cat area. And this cat's meow, 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 meow. And I look over and she's dragging her hind end around. She's paralyzed from, you know, the hips down, it looked like. And she's climbing up the front of the cage, making intense eye contact with me. Not anybody else in the room, just me. So I go over and I go, it's okay, it's okay. And I open her cage door and she climbs right up the front of my coat and puts her arms around my neck and becomes quiet and just hangs there. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I said, you know, you you can't do this. You have to go back (laughs) in your kennel. I'm working with these people to adopt a cat. And she was, at the time... Um, coming off her stray hold, and uh, they were going to determine what her outcome was. So I talked to the vet staff there, and they said she um, would be euthanized. That they had scheduled her for euthanasia because there was nothing, you know, that the that the vet that the vets in the shelter could do. That this was likely a broken back or something like that. They didn't have diagnostic equipment at the time to figure it out and and all that. So. I just, she weighed heavy on my heart. That was a Sunday. And and Monday I reached out to one of the rescue groups that I knew pulled from the shelter. And I said, there's this cat. And and she, I knew this lady does a lot of homeopathic work. This is Tawana Couch with Society for Companion Animals. Does an awesome job. And she mostly pulls dogs. So I explained to her what I'd seen. And I said, um, can you pull this cat? Can you tag this cat for me? I, I want to foster it, and I want to see if I can help it. And so she said, sure. So Tuesday morning, I go up there, and I get the cat. I had no idea what I was in for. And this cat, you know, was completely paralyzed, was in a bit of discomfort, and I began to work with this cat i It had to put a diaper on it because it would try to use the litter box, but then it would drag itself through what it just did to try to cover it. It was an oh, it was an awful mess and so I put a diaper on her. we cleaned diapers at least six times a day and you know washed her up oh it was it was horrible for both her and us and there were times when I thought she was given up, and I, I didn't think she was going to make it but I saw her through it, and I put a lot of energy into her. And I uh, intuitively figured out how to do physical therapy with her, how to make those muscles build. And it was a long process. it was it was about, I guess it was about three months. and um, I finally got that cat walking. and and it really was. It seemed like a miraculous recovery. But what I knew in my heart was, that it had to do with my love for her and my energy that I put into her. So someone told me afterwards that I needed to be really careful because I was putting my own energy into the healing of this cat and that what I really needed to do was to look at doing some professional energy work. So long story longer. I I went out and I I took Reiki lessons. I found Reiki masters that uh, worked on animals specifically, and started with my Reiki level one. Then a year level later, went into my Reiki level two. Then I skipped a few years and did Reiki level three. Became a Reiki master, and I now use energy appropriately to to heal cats and. Her healing probably would have gone so much faster and smoother if I'd actually been a Reiki practitioner at the time. But I use the Reiki on these cats that are fresh amputees or have had rods and pins or, you know, eye missing, which is easy. But, you know, stuff like that where they're recovering from major physical Uh, traumas because it really really does help them to heal faster and at the same time to be more emotionally stable and and ready for their adoptive homes so that was a long story to tell you the answer to that but
2: But that's okay you know one of the things uh can you just real quickly kind of dive in uh, what does it mean to give a cat energy
1: well, boy this is also not a short answer, but um so you know when all of us are we're all energy beings and when you have intense feelings, you are emitting that energy into the beings around you. So when I love you intensely, you're feeling that energy from me. If I had the opposite end of that and I was Hating something intensely, which I personally do not allow myself to have those feelings, but that energy also affects the beings around you. So, as we are energy beings, we're you know we're sending pulses of energy out into the beings and universe around us. Without any um, formal training, when you go through Reiki training, you learn to. Um, You learn more about the chakra system, Uh, both, well, all beings have chakras, cats have uh, one extra chakra than we do. There's a place on my website under the about section that says about cat Reiki, where I have illustrated where the cat chakras are and their meanings. So a lot of times I'll use that, but the chakras are basically energy portals, centers where energy flows out of your body. And if those are shut down, then that can cause disease, emotional or physical, within your being. Um, So, Reiki is actually, uh, it's energy that comes out of our hands. A lot of people equate it to healing that's mentioned in the Christian Bible about, you know, laying of hands for healing and things like that, that, that that could be Reiki energy. But basically, it's healing energy Uh, positive love energy that's flowing through a Reiki master because they have been attuned in a special way for more of that energy to flow through and help heal situations, both emotionally and physically. So I use it also with cats that are very wound up in the shelter. Either they're really fearful or they're really wound up and aggressive because their owners have dropped them off and surrendered them and they have no idea where they are and you know, it's just a, like being abducted by aliens. I will use that energy oftentimes to calm those cats down. I think it has a lot to do with why people say, oh, you're a cat magnet. You know, uh, people in the shelter will say, well, that cat's got a behavior problem. And I say, well, no, it doesn't. It's fine with me. And they go, yeah, well, with you, it is. All cats are fine with you. <laughs> I think that's a lot because of the Reiki energy, but it's also because I go into that place of of love and positive energy. and i'm and I'm giving that to the cat, and I'm pushing that to the cat. and I think that cat feels it and trusts me and um, responds accordingly. I don't know if that answered your question or
2: not. but <laughs> no, I think that you know, kind of it dives in a little bit and it explains. To the listeners, uh, more about what that means. So let's let's move into connectivities. And I know you connect with a lot of cats. So tell us about our current cat, Tabasco, as his name. Uh, tell us uh, where and why did you get Tabasco?
1: Well, Tabasco was an anomaly for cat adopting for me. I got Tabasco 15 years ago at the SBCA of Texas back when they were located on Industrial Boulevard, back when it was Industrial Boulevard. (laughs) It shows you how long ago it was. The street's not even named the same. The shelter's in a different location. (laughs) And I was actually there donating some cat items from a cat that had passed and I always go check out the kittens just because they're so much fun to look at. And I looked at all the kittens. I wasn't there to adopt a cat. In fact, I was on the way to El Centro College with my mentor from Trinity River Mission. And I uh, I was taking her to enroll in college. And I said, well, let me just stop on the way down to El Centro and drop off all this stuff at the SPCA. So I go in. They were even waiting in the car. I mean, this would be a quick trip. But I went in and saw the kittens. And there was not, I mean, you know, they were cute and all that. And I was getting ready to leave. And then I turned around and here comes a lady with Tabasco under her arm. And he was probably nine weeks at the time, wasn't a teeny tiny kitten, nine, 10 weeks maybe. And she was getting ready to put him in the adoption room. And I said, whoa, 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 give me that cat. Cause he was red and he is markings as everyone knows are just amazing. They're so unique. He's so beautiful. These lime green eyes and this red fur. I mean, I was like, whoa, give me that cat. So she gives him to me and um I'm holding him and I'm like, this cat is awesome. I did not have a connection with him, by the way, not an emotional connection. And I thought, this cat is so beautiful. I'm going to adopt this cat just because he is so freaking beautiful. And Whatever his personality is, is, is fine by me. It can be whatever it is, but he's just gorgeous. And so I adopted him. I had everybody come inside and wait through long line <laughs> while I adopted him. And I don't normally do that, and I don't normally recommend that. Um, but in full disclosure, I adopted Tabasco for his looks, um, It, but it worked out that I am more I'd say I'm probably closer to him than I've been with any other cat that I've adopted, and my previous cats um, I adopted one from the also from the SPCA, Texas. I adopted one was a friend's uh kittens of a barn cat that he was trying to get rid of. I adopted one that way um Gosh, several, you know, several things like that. A couple other, you know, shelter rescues. They've all been rescues. I, I've never, I've never bought a cat from a breeder or, or anything like that. They've all been rescues in one way, or another. But, but recently, I got a behavior call from a woman who had adopted a cat from Dallas Animal Services, and. She said, I, I don't know what to do. I adopted this cat and, and it I don't ever see it. It's under the bed. It doesn't come out. It's scared of me. I try to get it. I try to pet it and it runs and it only comes out to eat at night. I, I've had this cat now for two months. I don't know what to do. I want a cat. I bought it for a companion. And and so I got into asking her about it more in depth, of, you know, other than just where'd you get the cat? Well, I adopted it from the shelter. I said, what area was it in? And she said, well, it was in that room, you know, down by the intake desk. I said, oh, okay, so the lost and found room. She said, yeah. And I said, well, did you spend time with this cat before you adopted it? She said, they wouldn't let me. It wouldn't let me hold it. I said, well, that was probably because it was on stray hold. I said, did the cat say stray or owner surrender? I had her go get her paperwork, and it was a stray. I said, well, they couldn't let you interact with it because it was still on stray hold. And I said, so, you adopted it anyway? And she said, yes, it was so pretty. And and so, I adopted it because I couldn't hold it. And then she got it home and realized she'd adopted a feral cat that, you know, is not affiliative with humans. And so, I think it's really, really, really important that if you're going to adopt an animal, you spend time with it, you feel that special connection with that animal because it's a long-term commitment. I mean, you're you're looking at 16 years at best, and just like people, animals are living a whole lot longer than they used to. I mean, it's not uncommon they live 18 to 20 years. That's that should be common for your cat's lifespan. So Make that choice carefully. It's like having a child. It's another being that is dependent upon you to keep it safe, to keep it healthy, and to keep it happy. So I think those decisions should not be taken as lightly as as I took mine with <laughs> Tabasco, <to> maybe.
2: <laughs>
1: um, to do as I say, don't do as I do. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> now you're sounding um,
2: like a true parent. I
1: know, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> I really in our next cat, um I'm I really would like to get my next cat. I I would like to foster a nursing mom so that I can find, you know, the cat that I connect with in the litter and be able to start working with it at a really young age because cats have a window of 3 to 7 weeks of when you know they it starts formulating their personalities and their behavior for the rest of their life and so i really want to have that opportunity to begin working with a cat at at 3 weeks of age which i have not had for any of my companion cats i've always gotten when they were older than that so i haven't really had that opportunity so i'm i'm looking forward to that for the next cat
2: so that it tells us a lot about how you choose cats and and i think that's a big message for a lot of people on you know what and i'd like to hear from other people that are listening to this podcast tell us how you chose your cat and maybe your cat chose you and what was the connection that you feel like it's sort of a a love connection between you and your cat what happened to have you Fall in love with your cat and your cat fall in love with you. I'd love to hear that from some of our listeners.
1: And, you know, in fact, studies show, statistics show, they they do a, a study every year that the majority of people find their cats on the streets or the cats find them. The minority is cats adopted from shelters and breeders. So it is far more likely that someone has a cat wander up to their back door and they start feeding it and it becomes affiliative and then they want to come inside and, you know, and the people eventually just adopt the cat, you know, because it's an outdoor cat that they feel needs a home. That happens, you know, more often than not. And, and that's a cool thing. And that's, and that's a good thing when a cat chooses you, I think that's awesome.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. I've heard that often. So, um, we've got lots of questions to go through here, and time is eating up. So, let's kind of try to jump into this as quickly as possible. How did you get started working with cats outside of your home?
1: I think you're asking me to give shorter answers. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's see. This may be a very long podcast if we don't. Or (laughs) or we can save some of these questions for next time.
1: Uh, I... Got started working with cats outside the home in in shelters. So I think that the SPCA was the first shelter, maybe that I started. Um, I think they were the first ones that I that I actually started volunteering at, and I just wanted to be around cats more, and uh, and so it started with on weekends. Before you, my love, because now I stay busy on weekends. But on weekends before you, you know, I was I'm alone. I was bored. I would go shopping, and you know, I'd drop a lot of money on a weekend. I'd go, you know, clothes shopping and things like that, and you know, homewares and stuff. And I I'd, I'd end up spending a ton of money. And I'd look back on my weekend and I go, what the heck did I do all weekend long? Well, mostly I went shopping. So I thought I'm going to start doing something productive on weekends but also something that i enjoy that's going to be a you know a weekend fun activity for me so i started volunteering at the shelter and i said okay i'm going to volunteer two hours every weekend well that was so much fun i couldn't get enough of it i was addicted to it and you know two hours became four hours and now these last goodness the last 12 years or so it's been 10 to 5 Saturday and Sunday every single weekend I'm in Dallas I'm at the shelter volunteering and only working with cats and um, again I just think it's that passion calling to try to help as many cats as I can and um, and that was my outlet for it.
2: That's great and so this next question kind of rolls right into that as well you know, you spend a lot of time at the shelters, and a lot of people equate shelters as the dirty, nasty place. Um, and and maybe that's why you spend more time there. But why do you spend more time at shelters than you do with rescue groups and trying to educate and train rescue groups?
1: Um, well, I... I- I do extend my services my my behavior counseling services to cat rescues so I I absolutely do work with rescue groups I foster for rescue groups outside the shelter but I spend the majority of my time in the municipal shelter both in Dallas and Santa Fe because I feel like those are the organizations that are faced with the difficult decisions those are in Dallas. Those that is an organization that still has to euthanize for space. No fault of its own. It's a gigantic shelter. So this isn't because well you didn't build a big enough facility. It's a big facility. Could it be better? Of course. But th- this isn't because of of lack of square footage. This is a community that you know still has um, a disposable pet. Um, I guess feeling education whatever. And there are, unfortunately, a huge number of animals, I don't know, 150 a day on average that are surrendered to the shelter. They intake well over 30,000 a year, whereas rescue groups, and, and that's what's called, by the way, an open admissions shelter, which means if you live within our city and you bring me your pet, I take it, no questions asked. I mean, we might ask some questions like, who are you? Where's your address? Stuff like that. But we don't deny your animal. We don't say that's not a good enough reason. Take your pet home and call this behavior specialist. We don't do that. We take it no matter what. And and that's a lot of animals. Think of that 30,000 animals a year. And oftentimes overcrowding is an issue and they have to euthanize for space. Thankfully, those days are few and far between now, but... It's a horrible place for animals to be, cats in particular. Cats have a really hard time in a shelter. They're not pack animals. They don't like being in this facility with a bunch of other cats and loud noises and weird smells and and things like that. Whereas rescue groups, there's two kinds of rescue groups. There's rescue groups like the SPCA of Texas and Dog and Kitty City, amazing organizations, that are fortunate enough to have brick-and-mortar shelters, and then um, there are other rescue groups like Cat Matchers that has um, that is based and Rockwell Pets, amazing group too, pulls enormous amounts of animals from Dallas Animal Services. They rely completely on a foster network, so they need fosters to take their animals in. They don't, and then they do adoptions in Pet Smarts and Petco's and off-site places like that. They don't euthanize for space. Those places can pick and choose where they get their animals, how many they get, how long they stay. They of course will humanely euthanize for illnesses when needed and things like that. But it's not like the municipal shelter which really doesn't have a choice sometimes. And so I felt like I needed to put my efforts where I could save the lives of as many as possible. And for every cat that I get adopted out to a home that's not going to be returned, for every adopted animal that I can help with a behavior issue that's not going to be returned, every cat that I can get out of the shelter makes space for another one and makes those hard decisions, you know, less needed. So I really try to you know, concentrate on my efforts, not only in the municipal shelter arena, but particularly on the cats that are at the highest risk within that shelter.
2: So that leads us into the next question. When did you start behavior work?
1: Well, I started my behavior work, um, I guess, relatively recently when you look at my whole life, because I'm a whole lot older than I sound, I hope. <laughs> 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 um You are. I, I was I was um, unofficially behavior assessing cats in the shelter, saying I'd recommend this cat, you know, for TNR. Now this was back before the shelter adopted we TNR, which is uh, trap neuter return, and we're actually not TNRing. We're we're returning to the community, um, the community cats. So most people let their cats outside, and so. In the old days, shelters would pick up stray cats or stray cats would get brought in, and if they were really well-behaved and adoptable, we would keep them and adopt them out. And if they weren't, then we would go ahead and spay and neuter them, ear tip them, and return them to the neighborhood that they came from. If they were truly feral cats used to living outside in the community, then they'll do just fine out there. Well, that is changing in shelters across the country where we know that over 50% of people let their cats outside. So everyone, not everyone, that's a strong statement. A lot of the shelters in the country are now adopting, let's return to the community, all the cats that come in as strays, particularly because if they're friendly and adoptable, they're probably someone's cat that just got out. So, we're doing that now, but back in the day, when a cat's behavior really had to be adequately assessed, I was the one that went in and and did that and I thought one day I thought you know i I'm good at this, but I could be better at this, and so I decided I wanted to learn about behavior and become a behavior consultant and specialist. So, I researched all the schools and education that was available and I decided on Animal Behavior Institute and got I'm I'm now a designated designation of certified feline training and behavior specialist. And um and then I f- I learned so much during that process and it did make me better qualified to behaviorally work in so many ways I didn't even comprehend in the beginning I'm not sure it would have made me any better at what I originally went in for but I it expanded my horizons and in, in so many ways and um, so that was a, a well, I don't know four or five years back now I guess that I I started that work but you know the answer to that question, actually, now that I think about it, was I started behavior work when I was 11 years old. It was my first job. My parents, my dad was on uh, TDY somewhere, and we were we were temporarily stationed in some place or temporarily living someplace. We were gypsies. And uh, Air Force gypsies. And so I wanted to work. And we were boarding our dog, Ginger, Black Lab at the time. And there was a, a boarding, at the boarding facility, I really wanted to work there. And so the guy let me and uh, let me do a part-time job there. And he had Rottweilers and he was training Rottweilers as guard dogs. And so I really learned um I learned about behavior, dog behavior, some training techniques and things like that. He engaged me not only in the nasty kennel cleaning work, but also let me help him in his uh, obedience training and um, behavior training of these dogs that he was, he was boarding. So that was really my first behavior work when I was 11, but it wasn't with cats. <laughs> I don't know if it counts. <laughs>
2: You know, I, I I hear you say that a lot, um, you know, about how, in the past, you had this connectivity, and um, you know, as you brought this all forward, you're working, you're volunteering, you're you're seeing things happen. Uh, and, and you're seeing you you're beginning with your education and your passion and your desire to help cats pulled you all together into one, Spot where you made a a specific decision to really have a, a platform to work with. So, tell us a little bit about what made you start Cat Behavior Solutions.
1: Yeah, so that was one piece of information I got in my education that was shelter euthanasia is the number one cause of death in cats in the United States. And I was like, what? And I, I and I thought, that's worse than I thought it was because, you know, I know it was bad, but God, I didn't realize it was that bad. I'm thinking kidney disease or running over by cars or whatever. there has got to be more of those than killed in shelters. And so I, I was amazed at that. And I thought, you know, it's, it's just what I need to do with this work is a need to reach the people that are having behavior issues with their cats and considering rehoming them long before they ever get it to the shelter. Because if you've already made the emotional decision to rehome Fluffy because she's peeing on your bed and this has been going on for six months and you just can't take it anymore, your life has gotten stressful and it's just more than you have time or emotions to handle, and you the whole family says goodbye to Fluffy, and you load her up in a carrier, and you take her down to the shelter. If I'm standing there and say, you know, if you'd be willing to give Fluffy one more try, I will help you. They're liable to say no, because that emotional decision's already been made. So I realized I really needed to reach people before they made that decision. So I've encouraged... This shelter, uh, Santa Fe shelter that I work with, already does this. They get behavior calls. People call in and and say, you know, I'm, I've got this real problem with my cat. I'm going to have to bring it in. If I can't fix it, can you guys help me? Because they have a behavior helpline department type thing set up. And when they get those questions, they refer them to me. So I really encouraged Dallas Animal Services to do the same. They keep my business cards at the front desk. If people happen to call in you know, they'll give my information out. So I, you know, I, that's why I formed Cat Behavior Solutions as a nonprofit. In Dallas, we serve a very low income population in most cases. And I never wanted to deny service because someone can't afford to pay for a behaviorist. So I said, I'm going to be a behavior specialist that's at your disposal no matter what. I mean, yes, I have personal bills to pay and the people that can afford to pay for my professional services should and most do. And I appreciate that. But occasionally I will I will get a case where they really can hardly afford to feed their cat and themselves. And I'm, I'm not going to take money from those people. I want to help them. Um, and as many of them, as I can to keep those cats out of shelters. So, you know, short story, I started cat behavior solutions to be a shelter diversion service to keep more cats out of the shelter.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like all that boils up to that very one thing that you do, which is where the rubber and the road meet, which is to say that if you're taking your cat to the shelter, uh, to have it euthanized, or just taking your cat to the shelter just because you can't deal with it any longer, and it has to do with the behavior. It says to the audience that, "Hey, I'm saving one cat at a time through one behavior at a time."
1: Yeah, and that there's help out there. I mean, it's not just me, but there's there's plenty of behavior help out there. You don't have to rehome your cat, you know, because. It's peeing on your carpet. I mean, remember what I said a little bit ago that most people find their cats on the streets. The chances that your cat is going to find a really good home in a shelter are pretty thin. So live up to the responsibility that you took on when you adopted this cat for its life. I mean, did you rehome any of your children when, you know, they started having serious behavior issues? No, of course not. Well, maybe some people did. I probably would have. That's why I was never a parent,
2: <laughs>
1: much more attracted to cats than kids. <laughs> but, yeah,
2: but
1: yeah that's, that's the deal.
2: So we have lots of questions here to talk, continue to talk about, and uh, we're kind of getting long in our episode. Should we make this a 2.0? And um, No,
1: just go on. Go. Okay. Shoot them off. I'll answer right. quickly.
2: I'll All go, right. yes,
1: no, maybe. Yeah,
2: no. that would be great. All right. <laughs> what made you start this show, Cat Talk Radio?
1: Because I realized that the geographic area that I live in, Dallas and Santa Fe, I can't reach enough people. And so, for my nonprofit and my mission in life to save as many cats as possible from being rehomed, especially into shelters, I needed to reach a larger audience. And this platform actually gives us a global audience. We have people listening from all over the world and tuning in for, for cat information that helps them make their cats more happy so that then they don't have behavior issues. So this was a way to really broaden my, my reach. You know, I'm not Jackson Galaxy. I don't have a My Cat from Hell TV show, and I can't educate people that way. So I, I'm doing what, what I can afford to do um, with this radio show.
2: Well, that's awesome, and I'm really glad we get this message out there because I think the message really needs to be sent. So um, as we move on, what's the most rewarding behavior case you've handled to date?
1: That was one of those that I just talked about. It was a low-income case at Dallas Animal Services. Uh, A woman actually did come into the shelter with her cat, and she was crying, and she said, I have to, my doctor is making me surrender my cat. And they said, well, why? And she said, because it's chewing through my oxygen cords. And they gave her my card and said, well, you might call Molly first and let's see if she can help you. And so she was one of the very few people that actually took her cat home. She loved that cat and, and called me and I figured out what was happening. It was a young cat. It didn't have enough stimulation. It wasn't on the right feeding schedule. It was chewing through her oxygen cords in the middle of the night to get her attention. Um, for a variety of reasons I won't go into the long case here but um, we were able to solve that and and she was able to keep her cat and this woman was literally in tears over how grateful she was she said you know you saved my life and and my cats too and uh, and that was probably one of one of the most rewarding there have been many I mean most people that call me say I'm at my wits end and if you can't help me fix this problem i'm going to have to take my cat to the shelter i won't have any choice or make it a barn cat or an outside cat or something like that that's going to shorten its life one way or the other so i there are so 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 many um wonderful positive outcomes but that was that's the one that always sticks with me the most that that woman was so grateful she was so cute she i gave her the solution and she said you need to patent that <laughs> I had to explain to her that we were not using anything that was unique or you know that was patentable but that's how much she appreciated what what help I gave her.
2: Yeah, I remember that story and the emotional connection with that that was really drew me in was the fact that she was crying as she was dropping off her cat not wanting to let it go not like others who are going here this cat is has a is peeing everywhere or scratching on stuff here take that cat i mean that's a whole nother type of person this person was like you know my doctor said i gotta drop it off my cat and i are so in love and if if i could do anything to keep my cat i would and there, and so, there
1: are there's a lot of those i i stand at that intake desk best i can as time allows and there are i mean that's a line of people crying and and it's horrible 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 the reasons people have to give up their pets you know they have to move they've lost their job they can't afford it i mean it's it's the most heartbreaking thing it's it's terrible i'm usually there in line crying with them it's awful
2: <laughs> uh, and then the connection the opposite connection to that very same story the the happy tears so you have the sad tears of dropping it off and then the happy tears of going oh, we found a solution, now my cat can stay, and now my doctor's not saying give it up. I, uh, that's what drew me to that one, I think, more than anything.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. a good one.
2: So um, as we move on, how do you deal with people that say, we're just going to have our cat euthanized, you know, if the bad behavior won't stop, we just can't handle it anymore, there's nothing else for us to do. We're at our ropes and yeah but the word the word euthanized usually doesn't come up. It's more about I don't want to know what's going to happen. I'm just going to drop it off at the shelter
1: no you'd you'd be surprised. I was surprised i had I had no idea when I started cat behavior solutions, I thought I was dealing with shelter euthanasia. I didn't understand the number of people that actually take their cats to the vet, healthy cats, young cats, and say. I want you to euthanize my cat because it's peeing everywhere and I can't make it stop and we've ruled out medical issues and I've tried everything and I know it won't do good in a shelter so euthanize it. I was shocked. I'll I'll never forget the first time I encountered that uh, a woman reached out to me. She had a cat. That cat was fine, never had any behavior issues. She adopts a bengal and of course didn't do the introduction properly. The two cats started fighting. Her incumbent cat started urinating on things, of course, as a territorial marking gesture. And uh, so then she locks up the incumbent cat, obviously very intrigued with her new bangle, and uh, reaches out to me. And, and, you know, I I have a day job because I set this up as a nonprofit, and I don't get enough donations to pay my bills. So I have other work that I got to do to keep a roof over my head and I oftentimes will get backed up in behavior consults and I couldn't get to this woman in 24 hours I did respond to her and say hang in there here's some more questions for you I think I can get to you soon but I've got a couple behavior consults it might be a week hang in there I heard back from her she answered the questions I responded again so it was probably 10 days after her initial consult uh, with me, reach out to me that I got back to her and I reached out and I said, okay, are you ready to schedule this consultation? And she said, no need. I took the cat to the vet and, uh, and had it euthanized and I was just stunned. I, I, I didn't know what to reply. I mean, I, I, there were a lot of nasty things going through my mind. I wanted to reply, but I, I knew that was water under the bridge and they wouldn't help. And so I I did respond and and she did reply with a long explanation of how she just didn't feel like her cat would do well in a shelter and would be euthanized anyway. So she decided to do it so she could be there with it. And I mean, I I was shocked. So I do try to get to behavior consults faster. There's no question because because um, that that felt responsible. Um, And sometimes, you know, that's, that's hard on with my regular job. That's, that's hard. But um, we try to be as empathetic as possible, try to be as realistic to know that, you know, I didn't cause this situation and you've had this problem going on for a long time. And, you know, if you're in some hurry to make this decision to kill this cat, you know, I'll I'm going to do my best to help you, but I've got to take care of myself too. I have to pay my bills. I have to do the things I have to do in my life, and I'm happy to share my resources. God knows I make tons of resources available to people. If you can't get to me personally for a consult that same day, you know I would think you'd you'd at least give your cat a little bit of time to to wait and try some things. It's not like I'm a month behind on getting to consults. I wish I was that busy. So um, I'm always, how do I respond to those questions is what you asked. So I try to respond as quickly as possible. I try to respond empathetically. I understand that cat behavior issues are hard on people and that it's extremely hard to live with an animal that's destroying your things or hurting you or things like that. And, uh, And I'm very empathetic to what people are going through but um you know don't give up is is how i respond please don't give up on that cat let's let's work on this i'll be there with you arm in arm we'll work on this together
2: yeah and i think that's exactly where your passion lies um i intensely can see when a cat gets euthanized for reasons that could be fixed and that is such a close connection between you the life of the cat and trying to get to the owner and help them figure this out before euthanasia becomes the last resort and i think that's the the true passion and desire of your work that's that's amazing stuff so give us give us one good piece of cat advice you would give to anyone
1: oh boy good lord that list is long <laughs> there's so many things cat needs okay one thing if there was one thing i think everybody ought to be doing i think it would be nutrition make sure your fat cat is getting proper nutrition um because That can lead to so many emotional and physical difficulties in a cat. And it's, you know, you are what you eat. Your cat is what he eats. He's a different species. He doesn't need to eat what you eat. You know, do some work into knowing what your cat needs to eat. We have several good podcasts on nutrition. So I think nutrition would be the best. If I could only give one piece of advice, it would probably be in the nutrition arena.
2: That's a good one. Uh, And if I were to say that is one other good piece of advice based on what we just heard is, you know, get help before you get angry enough to take your cat somewhere else. You know, reach out for advice if you're feeling frustrated, angry, perturbed, or just at your wit's end with your cat Maybe the solution is nothing more than a little bit of behavior training, and it could solve so many different things. And it sounds like that is a place for most people to turn to you, Molly, and and try to help uh, get their cat in in some sort of better foster care. If that be the case, uh, it's far. There's far better solutions than just giving your cat up to the shelter.
1: But yeah well or and or taking it to the vet and getting it euthanized which is right. what I told the woman I said I really really wish you had given me an opportunity to try to find a rescue group that would have taken the cat you know
2: but, Yeah Okay so the next one how did you get into clicker training cat. <laughs> so, Jumping through hoops and doing right? backflips and high fives and all that cool stuff oh, that dogs I saw, do.
1: I saw how well you responded. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I am so well clicker trained.
1: Um, I first got my taste of clicker training at uh, at 11, back when I told you when we were I was working in that shelter, not a shelter, but a boarding facility with the dogs, that gentleman used um, operant conditioning to to train the dogs and uh, clicker training so that was my very first but my first formal I guess work with clicker training I mean I've you know Clarem prior learned clicker training that kind of stuff but it, in school they do teach us quite a bit and then I started using it with positive behaviors with Tabasco started using it in home and um Got real good at it. We use it with cats in shelters mostly because it really, really helps those shut down sh- cats to give them something other to focus on other than their fear. Um and then recently, uh, Jackson Galaxy has a fabulous nonprofit called Cat Positive Pro, and uh, we focus on clicker training and operant conditioning and some classical conditioning with cats and shelters, and they provide grants to shelters across the country where they'll provide a trainer mentor to work with those shelters. So Jackson had, had asked if I would work with that group, and I absolutely enthusiastically and I'm honored to to have said yes and been working with them for a couple of years now. And so I work with shelters uh, virtually through Jackson Galaxy Cat Positive Pro all across the country. And that's a great organization. If you're listening and you are affiliated with a shelter, Google that, Cat Positive, P-A-W-S-I-T, Positive Pro, and uh, look into that and apply for that grant for your shelter because it's amazing. And I would be... Honored to work with your shelter.
2: I guess that's a good spot to say that anybody that's listening out there, we'd love to uh, be able to uh, come to your shelter or your rescue group. And uh, Molly would love to uh, uh, educate, uh, speak, um, or even in your local area, uh, help people that are having problems with their cats. So um, I'll put a little plug in there. Okay, so um, you often wear and always wear a white coat when you go to work. So why do you wear a white coat when <laughs> you work?
1: You <laughs> ask that you're a, a doctor. lot. You know, no, I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a behaviorist. You know, there's a big distinction between a behavior specialist or behavior consultant and a behaviorist. A behaviorist is someone who has a degree, like a PhD, or, you know, in, in animal sciences, animal behavior sciences, and they're very rarely given out to one species. Like, you're not a feline behaviorist. You'll be an animal behaviorist. Anyway, I wanted to focus on felines. So that's, that's not as important. Important to me, um, and I, and I do refer people to veterinary behaviorists. Of which, by the way, there are less than a hundred of those. Like I don't know, maybe ninety of veterinary behaviorists in this country. So no, I don't wear my lab coat so that you will mistake me as a vet. I'm not a vet. I absolutely suggest everyone seek veterinary um, opinion. And rule out a medical condition before they come see a behavior specialist. But I wear it simply because, you know, when you, if you wear an apron for pockets, first of all, I need lots of pockets because I carry lots of stuff. I carry treats and clickers and I carry a little music speaker for calming cats. I mean, I'm loaded down. My pockets are full, look like a, well, it makes my butt look bigger. But at any rate. And no. if I wear it does when my pockets are all stuffed. So anyway, if I wear a um, an apron, that apron string, once I fill all those pockets with everything I need, the back of my neck by the end of the day is just killing me. I can't do it. So I needed a coat. And I thought, well, I need something that's that's industrial, you know. I need and so I looked at like, you know. Barber jackets, because they have a lot of pockets for things. So that's that's where it started, was I got like a a white um, hairstylist type of uniform jacket. And, you know, those look like lab coats. So I get called Doc all the time. And I guess, you know, the closest thing to a Doc I am is a cat psychologist. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I wear them because of the pockets and because I can easily throw them in the washing machine and um, I don't have to worry about it, and it covers up my own clothes, so I'm I'm keeping things from being on my own clothes when I get home later, and it's just it's a utilitarian thing. That's it. And it, and it, you know it turned out much like our zebra painted zebra stripe painted building in the other business we have. Um, it it's become it's become a branding statement. I didn't do it intentionally, but. It's now a branding statement that I always show up in my white coat because, you know, that's my uniform. That's it.
2: And you look so good in it. (laughs) (laughs) You're biased. And I think that that's a, you know, it is a branding tool. and I like that. And that may be one of the things that you talk about on this next question, which says, what sets you apart from other behavior consultants?
1: Well, I hope it's more than my clothes.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm sure it is. Let's see.
1: What sets me apart from... But it
2: could be one of many.
1: This is a hard question. Um, I don't know. I don't know that... um, You know, I don't know because I I haven't... You know, I, I do know a lot of other feline behavior specialists. Most others aren't just felines. Most of the people that I know that work in behavior with animals in a shelter or out do dogs cats they they do anything it's very very hard to make a living just doing behavior work on cats so a lot of behavior specialists and behavior consultants will combine that with pet sitting businesses or dog training centers or things that include dogs because Even though there are more cats owned in the United States than dogs, weirdly enough, that's where the money is spent. And um, I haven't done that. So I think where I'm different is I really, really focus on one species and one species only, and that's cats and house cats. Not big cats, not exotics, just house cats. Um, and, And that gives me all the time that i spend researching and i you know i haven't quit learning oh my gosh i i'm just like a sponge i'm always taking courses and ceus and researching things to death and you know i want to know how cats tick and how to how to serve people better so i i think one of the big things is i'm just cats and i've been doing it for a long time like i said i'm old so you know i've been around cats in the shelter for 12 years now it's been a long time and uh, and i've seen a lot and i know a lot what works and i'm very well connected and again i don't know that that means other people aren't but that's the best i got for that question
2: and it works just fine because you truly are when we go to the global pet pet expo and place other places you stand out more so than probably anyone else and of course i may be biased but that's okay you are so and I'm going, uh, go, going to the next thing. What's your future goal for cat behavior solutions? Well, I know you're excited about this, but my future goal is I
1: want to quit my day job, I want cat behavior solutions to become financially um, stable so that it you know, that it covers my overhead. I don't my I've worked very hard in my life to make sure that I have zero debt. No mortgages, no debt, nothing. So my overhead is really low. So it doesn't take much. It's not like this is an astronomical figure. But I want to be able to quit my day job, devote a hundred percent of my time to cat behavior solutions and cat talk radio. I want to get a giant RV, this is the part you like, and <laughs> I want to do a wrap on it and, and have it be Cat Talk Radio, Cat Behavior Solutions, hopefully supporting sponsor logos where some of that that overhead and expense will will be supported. And I want to take the inside of the RV and totally catify it so that it's this, even though it's very small perfectly catified space with shelving and climbing and scratching posts and just all kinds of stuff. And then when we get parked, you know, have a great catio built out so it can safely go outside when it wants and things like that. And then I want to travel around the country with you, my love and visit different (laughs) communities, um, shelters. I want to have, you know, training shelter staff, how to work with some of those difficult cats uh, along the way. I want to give free community seminars at those shelters. I want to do clicker training classes for people to be able to clicker train their cats at home. Um, And I want to take on behavior cases in communities. I want to travel all across the country and take my, my work and my knowledge to places that I can't reach today because I'm a little... I'm a little locked to uh, to, to still having to uh, work to pay overhead outside of Cat Behavior Solutions. So that's my future goal for Cat Behavior Solutions. I want to reach more people, more, more, more people.
2: Yes, and uh, there's a lot of people out there that have that similar situation, that connection with their animal that they have to take them to the shelter for all those reasons we just talked about or to the vet for some of that and I think your message really needs to get out there and there are people out there that can help support that and we hope that uh, the listeners can help direct us to those that can help support anyway let's uh, get down to the last question what does what does success look like when you're finished
1: Wow, sadly, I do not think that I will be finished in my lifetime. So I am looking to inspire other people to do the same thing that I do. Um, just just today, I got an email from an adorable young man in the uh, Netherlands that followed me and listened to cat talk radio and got inspired and he started his own cat podcast to answer behavior questions and he does it in Dutch and uh, he was reaching out to me for, for help and guidance on, on some behavior things. And he takes a lot of the topics we do in cat talk radio and uh, redoes them in, for his country in Dutch. And, and that's awesome. I mean, I, I think that's great that we're, we're reaching people around the world now, but um will never be finished. I guess we're finished when the only cats that are euthanized in shelters are cats that are dying from some disease and that euthanasia is truly the only humane answer for them, that they're never euthanized for for space. And that people stop surrendering them. I will never be for stop because, you know, people have things come up. People die. Their cats have to go somewhere. You know, family can't take them. I mean, there's always, cats are always going to come into shelters. But as long as we're euthanizing them in shelters, my work isn't finished. And as long as people, you know, feel like there's no other option for them other than to take their cat to the shelter or let it out outside, then my work isn't finished and Like I've said many times in this podcast, I'm old, so I don't have that many working years left. You are not. uh, You are not. And uh, so, sadly, I do not think that that situation is going to be remedied in my lifetime. So, the answer to your question is uh, success looks like, No more cats are surrendered to shelters unless they absolutely positively have to be. And those cats are very well cared for and placed in good loving homes and never euthanized unless absolutely necessary. And when am I finished? I won't be in my lifetime.
2: That's it. And that's it. And what a great episode. We got to see the inside of Molly DeVos's heart. (laughs) Yes, instead of...
1: Opening the kimono, we were opening the vet vet jacket.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was, uh, you know, I think that more than anything, the important message needs to get across that there are options. And the options of you taking your uh, cat to some other place, uh, options for when you get frustrated or upset or don't seem like you can do anything with your cat, reach out to a professional like Molly and Molly uh as you begin to think about what you're going to do next. So Molly what a great episode as always. So tell us why we do this for free. Uh
1: oh, we already covered that in the show. Move on. We do it for free cuz cats are getting euthanized and we don't want that to happen.
2: And really <laughs> it, and really it, it's it, we do it for free but at the same time it does cost. It costs us to do lots of this Stuff. Yeah, it, does. It, it costs to try to get the message out. It costs to put the radio show on. It costs to keep the websites going. It, there's a lot of cost. And so any help we can get uh, is help we appreciate and the cats appreciate. So tell us about Cat Talk Radio, Molly.
1: Tell you about Cat Talk Radio? This is yeah. Cat Talk
2: Radio. What do you yeah. mean? It's an outreach program for Cat Behavior Solutions, right? which is a nonprofit.
1: Yeah. Didn't we cover that in this show? Yes. Yes. Cat Behavior Solutions is the business. CatBehaviorSolutions.org. Go there. Cat Talk Radio is on there.
2: All right. <laughs> Cat Behavior Solutions. That's uh, all right. Sounds like that's it then.
1: Okay. Everybody Sweet. have a great week. And until we see you next time, until you tune in next time, take great care of your cat, love your cat to death, and keep calm and purr on.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues